0: We want to thank you for listening to audio from The Hill Church. We exist to glorify God by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives together. If you would like to learn more about our ministry or donate online, please visit us at thehillsd.org. We're
1: going to have Nathan, Allie, and Haley, please come on up. And if you're, I know we have some family and visitors here today, if you want to stand up, walk up here, take pictures, all of that, uh, that's acceptable, so don't be shy, make sure you do that. One of my greatest privileges as a pastor is what I get to do here today, especially when the first one is my, my son. So I'm really excited today, I'm glad you guys are here and I want you to know that when we, at the hill, when we put people under the water, we... We celebrate with them and their union with Christ. And we don't do that by quietly sitting there and observing. We do that loudly. We celebrate, all right? Amen? All right, so Nathan's up first. He's going to share his testimony with us. And then we're going to baptize this brother. Get a little closer there, Nate.
0: <laughs> My name is Nathan Steele, and I'm 13 years old. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is obviously a pastor. I went to church on Sundays, attending things like wanna. In 2017, my family moved from North Carolina to California to plant the Hill Church. Moving to California opened my eyes that my parents were willing to give up almost everything that we had for the sake of the gospel. When moving to California, I began questioning if I was a believer. Before I was a Christian, I sort of just went with the flow. I just assumed I was a Christian without giving it a lot of thought. From going to church as a small kid, I knew what sin was, but as I got older, I became more aware of my sin and my personal need for a savior. One day on the way to the barber shop, my dad and I were talking about Jesus. He began asking me questions about Christianity. I was, able, I was able to answer almost all those questions, but when he asked me if I was a Christian, I just didn't know. That's when I realized I wasn't actually a believer. It was that in the parking lot of a barber shop that I res- that I repented of my sins and received Christ. That was just over a year ago now. Now that I have Christ, I feel contentment knowing that He is with me even through hard times, especially with dealing with the death of my grandpa. I'm here today to say that I've accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life, and I want to live for Him. I want to thank all my family and friends who support me in my walk with Christ, especially for my dad, helping me lead me to Christ, and helping me grow in my faith.
1: Take your look Come on up. in. Turn around and see. Nathan, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you now as my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Here you go, buddy. Next up we have Ms. Haley.
2: <laughs> Hello, my name is Haley Lindley. I'm 17 and I'm born and raised in San Diego. Before my relationship with Christ, I never even fully understood who Christ was. I went to church with friends and family occasionally growing up, but never stood nor received the gift of the gospel. Before accepting Christ, I definitely felt lost and unsure of myself and my life, but was the type of person to put that all on myself thinking that I had the ability to do so. School and the grades I got were my life. It was the most vital thing in the world for me that I thought would bring me the ease and satisfaction I was longing, when in reality I would constantly be left feeling overwhelmed. Money was also a huge desire for me as well. Something I would often think about is that I have to graduate college and immediately get a high-paying job to live a happy and fulfilling life. These are two of the many reasons why I need Christ and His grace because without Him I'm broken. It was in January that I started meeting with Ivy every Friday. She initially reached out wanting to help me know the Lord, but also let me know that I could go to her with any questions. From then on, I asked about anything and everything because I was the type of person who felt the need to try and understand everything before accepting Christ. Months later, on the 8th of March, it finally clicked with me that I don't need to understand everything because we're not meant to. From there, I put my faith in Christ and asked for him to save me from my broken world. I put my faith into Jesus because of his gift that is shared in the gospel. Jesus Jesus was sent onto earth and lived perfectly and died for our sins, taking on a burden we could never hold and rising again. Jesus paid an impossible debt for me, one that I could never afford, and he did that so I could be in right relationship with God. That is why I placed my faith in Christ. Christ has completely transformed my life, and joy is the most evident. All of us desire for happiness, but happiness is only temporary. Joy is what lasts, and I've learned that joy can only be found within Christ. We all fight our battles and suffer from time to time, but in Christ I have never lost my joy. Mm -hmm. There is a reason that I'm okay, and that is all thanks to Christ and His work on the cross, not because of anything that I have done. So I'm here today to let you all know that I proclaim proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And I'd like to give a quick thanks to Ivy for helping me come to know the Lord, as well as Peyton for inviting me to church and teaching me about Christ throughout my journey. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Face that way first. Haley, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I have. Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you as my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Next up, we have Miss Allie.
3: Hi, I'm Ali Kufall. I grew up in a Christian household going to church every Sunday, but I never really got it. I, my life was filled with searching for the approval of others in whatever way that I could. I have learned that I need Christ in grace and in His grace because nothing on earth is able to satisfy me in the way that He does. Whether that's having the right job, going to the right school, or trying to find that love in a relationship, nothing is ever going to be good enough my identity was constantly changing trying to please those around me i finally got it around easter on easter i remember sitting in the family room watching church and feeling for the first time what jesus did for us going to church my whole life i've heard the story countless times but i never understood the sacrifice of god sending down his only son jesus to live a perfect life that none of us could live knowing that jesus's life was going to end in death on a cross to save all of us including me from my sins I would hear that and not really think much of it. But when thinking about it, from the perspective of a parent or a nanny in my case, everything w- was so different. I felt, I felt it differently. I actually understood that with the sacrifice of Jesus dying to forgive me of my sins came a relationship that required time and effort. And that wasn't just when it was convenient for me or to check off a box. It was it's a, it's a relationships to do every single day. There have been seeds throughout my story that have helped me get to where I am, but I no longer had any excuses to not actively choose to be in a relationship with God through his word, prayer, and community. I am content with where I'm at. I've had a migraine since November 19th of 2018, meaning I'm in constant pain 24-7 every single day. Not, for a lot of my migraine journey, I was content. I wasn't content where I was, constantly trying new medications or doctors not being okay with being in pain. I didn't think that I deserved to suffer, but... Over the last few months, I've become content with where I am. And as crazy as it sounds, I'm okay if I'm going to be in pain with this migraine for the rest of my life. I have learned that it is a privilege to suffer for God. I have a sense of peace in where I'm at. I'm not fighting God, but trusting that we're doing this together as a team. I have constantly looked for the approval of others, even changing parts of who I am as a person to be accepted, but now I'm sure in who I am and my identity in him. I don't need the approval or love of friends or a boyfriend or family. He is enough. So I'm here today to let you know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I want to thank God for the people that in my life that brought me to the Hill Church and helped spark my relationship with God. I want to thank Whitney Johns for meeting with me each week, allowing me a space to be open and ask questions, and also Whitney Sammons for meeting each week, learning and growing together. Also, my community group, even when I'm not sharing, I'm learning so much from each one of you, and you have all been such an example of what it looks like to be in community and walk together in the Lord. <laughs>
1: And put All right, Allie, have you accepted Jesus Christ as yes, your Lord I and Savior?
3: Have. Yes, I have. She's excited.
1: I like it. <laughs> Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you as my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the waters of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Proud of you. Good job. i walk around front. All right, while they're up here cold and wet, we're going to pray for them. Let's lift our, our hearts collectively to the Lord. Lord, it is good to hear the testimony. Lord, it is good to know that You are at work in sinners like us. Lord, we have nothing in our hands that we bring to You, but simply to the cross we, we cling. That's the testimony of these three individuals, Lord. What a, what a gift, what a joy it is to, to be able to partake in that. Different ages, different seasons of life, the connecting factor is the blood of Christ. And we thank You, Lord. And Lord, we do ask a special prayer over each one of them. That, Lord, You would, even from today, mark their lives especially with a desire and a hunger to live for You with boldness, with clarity, with discernment. And Lord, and help us as a church to... Lean in even more. Take them under our wings as brothers and sisters in Christ and help shape them and mold them for Your name's sake as they they help us walk with Christ. Lord, it's a privilege. It's a gift and we thank You. Lord, I just want to say to each person here, if you're not a believer, I hope you hear the testimony of these three. That they were lost because of sin, but they are found now in Christ and that is for each one of us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. And everyone said, Amen. I think we'd all would agree that good communication is essential in this life. Healthy marriage is demanded. We have some, well, we could say across the board, but we have some new recently married couples in our church and conversation I have with many often is communication. Communicate better. Learn how to communicate better. Learn how to communicate better. It's it's essential to uh, a healthy marriage. And good parenting can't be done without it as well. Really, all areas of our, our life, relationships, have to be uh, guarded and kept by good communication. And breakdown in communication can cause serious problems. For instance, this... May or may not have happened, but there was a time when my wife and I's communication broke down and caused us both to leave, to head off to work, with our oldest son still in the crib. (laughs) Each of us assuming the other was taking him to daycare. Luckily, uh, my wife, the sharp thinker, uh, decided to double check before she got out of the driveway. To learn that Peyton was still in the crib sleeping away. Breakdowns in communication can cause serious problems. And as we enter into the book of Hebrews, we're, going to, we're looking at the first three verses this morning. Breakdowns in communication can be significant in terms of our physical life, but we all suffer from an eternal breakdown in communication with God. God is holy, we are sinners. And this creates an eternal gulf or separation between us. In other words, there is an eternal communication gap between us and God because of our sin. And this breakdown or gap in communication distorts our understanding of everything. We don't really know who we are. I heard that in testimonies this morning. We don't really know our purpose and we really don't know what life itself is all about. But the story of the Gospel is that God has done something in His Son. God has closed the greatest communication gap of all time, which exists between a holy God and sinful man, as we're going to see here this evening in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Now this is our fourth and final week in this little short sermon series we're calling Beholding the Excellencies of Christ Together. Our goal, we said, has been to behold Christ, to become like Christ. And this evening, we want to behold the excellencies of Christ in His, in His revelation or His communication to us from Hebrews chapter 1. And I think you have a main idea on your, on, your, on your notes there. If you don't have it, I'll read it to you. But I want to kind of unpack this idea, that becoming like Jesus demands beholding Him as the Father's full and final communication to us in the Gospel. Becoming like Jesus demands beholding Jesus as the Father's full and final communication to us in the Gospel. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to read the first three verses. purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as superior as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs let's pray lord we transition now from singing lord hearing the testimony of three and baptizing them and Lord, everything that we have heard in testimonies, everything we've heard in these songs, everything we've heard about the riches of who You are and what You've done in the Gospel, we know none of it apart from Your Word. We know none of it apart from Your Son. So Lord, now in these next 30-so minutes, guard our time, guard our hearts, help us to hear from the Word, to see the Son as Your full and final communication to us in the richness of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the book of Hebrews leaves really some important unanswered questions. And For one, we don't really know who wrote the book. There's theories and arguments that abound. Uh, some more persuasive than others, but honestly we really don't know. And because of this, we, we can't be all too sure regarding its exact dating. And given the the allusion to temple worship and the sacrificial system, without any mention of its destruction, which we know took place in 70 A.D., it's safe to conclude it was written prior to that time, but we don't know the exact dating of it. We also don't know the exact type of writing, or maybe we might call the genre of this writing. While it includes some parts of a letter, it's not really a letter. It's missing some major components of that. Its rhetorical flavor uh, really has led many to understand it as a, a sermon of sort, or maybe we could call it a sermonic letter. But well, while the, the style and nature of the letter may be up for debate, its meaning and content are not. Hebrews is organized around key warnings and exhortation encouraging Jewish believers to endure through the midst of persecution. There was a, a present danger of turning back from following Jesus and going back into their old Jewish religion throughout uh, you will find exhortations about not forsaking to gather together and warnings against a falling or drifting away from the faith and the logic and reasoning for endurance is straightforward Christ is better he is the fulfillment of the old testament religion he's the culmination of God's redemptive purposes He is God's Son who provides a a better hope, a a better covenant founded on better promises. He is the better sacrifice, guaranteeing a far better inheritance. Jesus is the best God could send. He's the best God could give us. In Jesus, God has spoken clearly, fully and finally. He has forever closed the communication gap between God and man. And these Opening three verses of Hebrews comprise somewhat of, we could say, maybe a a condensed table of content for the rest of the letter. And it really provides us with three essential truths which are unpacked through the rest of this letter here concerning Jesus that I want us to consider as we close out this sermon series. I'm going to walk through them for us in these three verses. And the first one is, is this, Jesus... Simply that, Jesus is the voice of God that we must, that we need to listen to. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, this opening phrase, long ago or in the past, should ring with a note of familiarity. Similar to our text that we've looked at in 1 John and Colossians, the author of Hebrews begins by taking us back to the beginning of our Bibles to make clear that the good news of Jesus didn't begin with his birth in Bethlehem. It began. It began. Long ago, as it says, the sending of the Son of God was simply the, the culminating act of God's drama of redemption, which started in the Garden of Eden. And God's voice has been the active agent in His redemptive story. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, it says. This opening verse really does highlight up. A rich theological truth to the Christian faith that we most often take for granted. The God of the Bible is a, is a speaking, communicating God. From the opening verses of Genesis to the final pages of the book of Revelation, God's voice remains central. Francis Schaeffer famously said, the infinite personal God, He is there, and He is not silent. There may be no more important truth we should grasp than the notion that God is a speaking, communicating God. And the fact that He has spoken means His voice, in light of who He is, is authoritative over our lives. And His voice itself, His revelation to us is a testimony of His amazing grace. I know we often talk about God's grace in terms of His salvation towards us, which we should, but we should not overlook God's grace in His voice, in His revelation to us. God has chosen by His grace to reveal,
0: to communicate
1: Himself to us. He has revealed Himself generally in creation. He's revealed Himself particularly through His Word. And He's revealed Himself fully and finally in His Son. The Bible tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. So we know we can know something of God generally from creation. Paul speaks of, of God's invisible attributes, that is His eternal power and divine nature, which have been clearly seen through what God has made. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Yet general revelation is insufficient for us to know God. It's general. Knowing something about God and actually knowing God are two different things. To know God, we need... We need special revelation. We need a direct voice from God, which is what we have in His written Word to us. Carl Henry speaks of revelation. I love this. If you want to write it down. Revelation as God's willful disclosure through which He forfeits His own personal privacy so that His creatures might know Him. God's willful disclosure through which He forfeits His own personal privacy so that His creatures might know Him. And God has disclosed Himself, as the text says, at many times and in many ways throughout history. He has spoken through dreams and visions by inspiring Scripture. He's even spoken through the mouth of a donkey. But in all of this, what has been preserved for us is the inerrant record of God's Word and its faithful transmission to us as His people. God spoke in the past through history, through Psalms, through Proverbs, and through prophecy in the Old Testament. All are true, for all come from the author of truth. But here's the important fact. According to God's providential plan, all that was written in the Old Testament, it was all partial. It was all elementary. It was all preparatory. God's revelation through His prophets in the Old Testament all of it was anticipating His Son. Look at verse 2. It says there, begins with this contrast, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. As I said, God speaks generally in creation, particularly or especially in His written word, but fully and finally in His Son, in Jesus. The coming of Jesus has, has brought a difference, the text says, in both time and quality regarding God's voice where He spoke before in times of old, He has now spoken in the last days. Do you know that we Christians are currently in the last days? With the coming of Christ, we are in the final age where we have been since His cross and His resurrection. The next great act of God is His return to judge the world. There's a new time with God's voice now. There's also a new quality. There's a, a, a clear qualitative difference between a prophet and a son. I think we would agree with that. And this isn't just any son. This is Jesus, God's divine son. As the rest of verse 2 says, He's the son whom He appointed heir of all things through whom He also created the world. To be heir is to be invested with, with everything. And to be son is to be heir of all that the Father possesses. And He also is the divine agent of creation itself. It says the one through whom the world was created. This simply echoes my, really my sermon from last week. We read from Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 where we saw how all things were created, speaking of Jesus, by Him, through Him, and for Him.
0: All creation
1: finds its purpose and meaning in Jesus. God has spoken through His Son and we must listen. So, do you see the the qualitative difference here of God's communication to us in Christ? And do you see how powerful this argument would have been for the Jewish believers experiencing persecution at the hands of, of other Jews for the sake of their faith in Christ? The author is saying, look, it's one thing to believe the Word of God spoken to us in the prophets of old. It's altogether different to believe the Word of His Son. The heir of all things, the one through whom God created the world, and the one who, in fact, the entire Old Testament is finds its fulfillment in. All of God's communication in the past finds its true voice in Jesus. Therefore, His voice can be trusted. Jesus will make good on all His promises. We can rest assured of that. All things are in subjection to Him. This is what it means to be the heir. All resources, all assets, all power, all dominion, all authority is subject to Jesus. It's all been given to Him. He's the heir of all things, and all things are created by Him, through Him, and for Him. Therefore, we can rest assured He will make good on all His promises. His voice is true. His voice is sure. His voice is steadfast. So why is this important? It's important because when we read that God will remove our sins as far as from the east as from the west, we know it's true in Jesus. When we we read Joshua, who says, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you forever, wherever you go, we know it's true in Jesus. When we read, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, we know that that future and that hope is true in Christ. And when we read, blessed are the meek, for you shall inherit the earth, we can take that promise to the bank. when we read how nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, we can take that to the bank.
0: Jesus is
1: the Son. He's the heir of all things, the one through whom all things were created. Therefore, we must, we should, we have to listen to His voice. He makes good on all his promises to us. We listen. God has spoken fully and finally in his Son. This raises a question for us. It's worth reflecting on here, but it's worth reflecting on more when you leave here tonight. What voices? What voices do you tend to give your ear to?
0: What voices
1: do you tend to allow to grab your attention? Because who or what you listen to most is the authority over your life. The voices you give your ears to, they are discipling you. And look, 2020, it's been marked by a lot of things, but it's definitely marked By competing voices. We are constantly being bombarded by competing, polarizing, loud, conflicting voices. Everyone has a thought. Everyone thinks they're right. Everyone has something to say. And these voices are trying to disciple you. They're trying to tell you who you are, how you should think, and how you are to live your life. The voices you listen to are shaping your thinking; they are informing your identity, and they will dictate your actions. So I want I want you to be honest and consider what voices, what authority, are you giving your ear to? What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who are you following on social media? What blogs are you reading? What news outlets are you allowing to shape your opinions and views? Just because someone retweets it or reposts it doesn't make it true. What are they telling you? The question is this, honestly, for everyone here today, maybe you're here today visiting and you don't know Jesus. really don't think it's really that important. I want to ask you to consider By what authority are you living your life? Because we're all living by some authority. There is some authority by which we say certain things are wrong and certain things are right. By some authority we judge things. The question is, who or what is that authority? And is it true? God has spoken fully and finally in His Son. We are to listen to Him. For His promises can be trusted. What He says is true. What He says is trustworthy. What He says is right. You know, when you follow most of these blogs or articles you read on social media, if you follow them long enough, you get to the end of it. And guess what you find out? The dude who wrote it with so much authority or so much much certainty in his article, he's got no authority to back it up. He probably wrote it from his mom's basement it's being tweeted and reposted as if he knows everything that's going on in the political spectrum and everything that's going on in the world. Listen to me. Jesus' voice is authoritative. He's the divine Son by which, through whom, the whole world was created. He's the heir of all things. He can be trusted. We must listen to Him. This is what it means to be a Christian. The question is, are we listening to God's voice found in His Word through His Son. We must listen. We must obey the voice of God found in His Word. Jesus is the voice of God we must listen to. But Jesus is also the Son of God we must see, we must behold. Verse 3 really centers our thoughts on the character and nature of the majesty of Christ. In verse 3 we see how Jesus is the the divine healer, of uh, the, the divine revealer. He's the divine character and He's the divine sustainer. Look at verse 3. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power.
0: Jesus is
1: the divine revealer. He's the radiance of the glory of God. This word radiance speaks of brightness or or visual manifestation. And it echoes back to this notion of God's, God's glory, His Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. When the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, we read how the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain.
0: We also read of the glory of God being manifested at the
1: tent of meeting in the wilderness. And we read of the glory of God filling the temple during Solomon's dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8. But here we read that the the radiance of the glory of God is Jesus. John tells us that when the
0: uh, that when the word
1: Jesus became flesh we beheld his glory glory as of the only son sent from the father. So, do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to see the His Shekinah glory? Look at His Son. Behold His Son. Jesus is the divine revealer, but He's also the divine character. For He is the exact imprint or the exact representation of the Father's nature. Nature here speaks of, of essence and actual being. Now, my boys, especially my oldest Peyton, uh, resembles me. Uh, I remember recently we were at uh, my mom's house in we were watching some old videos of me playing basketball in high school. and It's shocking and really even scary to see how much Peyton actually looks like me when he plays basketball. He moves, he defends,
0: like his dad, sadly.
1: No, he defends better than his dad. But the reality is as much as my boys resemble me, they're not exact representations of me. No human son is the exact representation of their father. However, this verse says Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father's very nature. Jesus bears the very stamp of the Father, of God's nature. And this reality, again, gets us back to the triune nature of our God. While Jesus is the Son, He is not less God than the Father. They share an equal divinity. Again, my southern slang, again, I'll give it to you again. I like it. All that makes God, God, Jesus, God. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He's the divine Son. He's also the divine sustainer. It says, And if He upholds the universe by the word of His power. As we saw earlier, Jesus is the divine agent of creation, the one through whom the world was created. But Jesus is also active in sustaining all that He created. Currently, right now, at this moment, the Bible says the Son of God is sustaining all things. He is keeping the planets in orbit and universe on track. Our existence is is based upon the continuance and constancy of of many or certain laws. Just imagine for a moment what, what would happen if Jesus suspended His sustaining power right now. If gravity ceased to exist or it was suspended just for a few seconds, we'd all perish. If the earth's rotation slowed just a bit, it'd be a disaster. If the distance of the sun was changed slightly, we would all die. A bit closer, we all burn up. A bit further away, we all freeze. How does the universe stay in this kind of precise balance? The sun sustains it all. And notice, he does this by... His authoritative and effective word of power. Literally, His powerful word. He does it all without effort. The two words which ground and frame the creation story in Genesis is God said. And it's God's powerful word which created all things. And it's the same power which sustains all things. And it's the same power which will bring all things to their proper end. You know, when we think about when we think about we think about the book of hebrews oftentimes what comes up is this idea of of, of maybe one losing their salvation or being able to be uh, to lose one's salvation it's a debate that has went on throughout church history and the book of hebrews is a place that many go to to make that argument but i'm sorry this truth that God, what God creates, He sustains, is what really forces me to believe and to cling tight to the Bible's teaching on eternal security or the eternal sustaining of all believers. God's power to create and sustain that which He creates should anchor our faith and set ablaze our hearts with joy. Christ is the divine sustainer. The faith He creates in us he promises to sustain in us. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6,
0: and I am sure
1: of this, that He who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. As believers, we can remain confident that if God begins a work in our hearts, He will hold us and sustain us all the way through to the end. He's the divine sustainer. If He can uphold and sustain the very universe, He can sustain our faith, Christian. Jesus is the divine healer, the divine character and the divine sustainer, the one we are supposed to behold. So the question is do you see Him? And the central focus of these last few weeks has been on this notion of beholding the excellencies of Christ and that concept of, of seeing or beholding Jesus while it it can, it may seem simplistic. It's essential to our Christian walk. And it's a reality that was not lost on the part of the author of Hebrews. For he knew these Jewish believers were being tempted in the face of persecution to turn back. They were being tempted to walk away. They were discouraged and defeated. They were tired and scared. They were ready to give up. They were giving their ear to all the wrong voices. They needed to hear God's voice through His Son, but to do this, they had to see Him truly. They needed a right perspective, as each of us do.
0: Look, I—I I, uh,
1: Mount Helix is, is pretty impressive. I catch myself often gazing up at it while I drive by, especially on clear mornings and You know, while it's impressive when we look from down here up to Mount Helix, it's altogether different if we climb it, which I often do, and stand atop of it and look out down over things. Because from the top of Mount Helix, you can see La Mesa. On a clear day, you can see La Mesa in relation to downtown San Diego, downtown to the Coronado Bridge. You can see El Cajon. You can see National City. You can see Chula Vista on a clear day. You can see Mexico off in the distance. There's a perspective you just can't get from down here, which exists from up there, brothers and sisters. That's all we've been trying to do these last four weeks with this sermon series.
0: We don't want to simply
1: look up at Jesus from the midst of our struggles in this season in our life. No, instead we want to we want to climb up and we want to stand the top of these breathtaking passages concerning Jesus and His majesty and His glory, and then I want us to look back and gaze upon our lives from them. It should bring perspective to our lives. To behold the excellencies of Him and allow that to shape the way we're seeing everything else. The way we're seeing ourselves, the way we're seeing our struggles, our disappointments, our anxieties, our worries, and every single thing happening today around us. We need to behold Jesus in all His glory and all His majesty and allow that to shape our lives. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. Jesus is the author of truth, the fountain of goodness, the perfect expression of love and mercy. We must behold Him if we're going to truly listen to Him. I think by verse 3, the author of Hebrews is challenging his readers and really challenging us as to our sight. He's challenging them as to what they are beholding. He's challenging them as to what is captivating their eye gate. Is it the persecution and the difficulty the things that are going on? Or is it Christ? What's captivated ours? What are we beholding? For when and only when we see Jesus truly will we be able to understand everything else rightly. We must behold Jesus and listen to Jesus for He and only He has accomplished what we ultimately need. Which is what brings us to the last little section here in our text in point number three. Jesus is the voice of God we have to listen to. Jesus is the, the Son of God we must behold. And Jesus is the work of God we must trust in. Our attention now turns from who Jesus is to what He has done. We move from the person of Jesus to the work of Jesus. We move from the King Himself to His office and administration. We see Him truly. We can trust in Him rightly. One preacher points out, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And God sent us a Savior, His Son. We need forgiveness and we need cleansing from our sins. And the second half of verse 3 points out, look at it. After making purifications for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus made purifications for sins. Jesus did something. He did something. He accomplished something. He acted to provide the means of bringing about our purification. And only He could do it. Jesus does for us what no prophet or anyone in the Old Testament could ever have done. No apostle or even an angel from heaven could ever do what Jesus did. Jesus did what only Jesus could do. That's the testimony of these three today. As the divine Son of God, He took care of sin. And the word here, purification, it speaks of cleansing, purging, purifying. We have to know. We hear the testimony of the Scriptures. And we see the true person of Jesus we see him rightly we're able to see ourselves truly and what we see is that we are sinners we need cleansing your greatest need and my greatest need is the forgiveness of sin and the language of purification here helps us understand the nature of sin. sin is not just wrong thinking sin is not just bad decisions. Sin is corruption. Sin is defilement before a holy God. Sin requires cleansing and purification. Look, this was not a new concept for these Jewish believers. The Old Testament taught this. They had a, an intricate sacrificial system that they would have been a part of since a young child growing up. They knew this. They understood they needed cleansing for their sin. But the author of Hebrews is communicating something so rich here. They can't turn back to the old Jewish way. They can't turn back to the old sacrificial system for cleansing. For it was temporary cleansing. Jesus has come to bring true cleansing, real washing, eternal purging from sin through His death upon the cross. Jesus is the full and final act of purification for sin. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, speaking of Jesus, we read, He has no need, like other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sins and then for those of the people, since He did this once for all when He offered up Himself. The nature of Jesus, the person of Jesus, defines the significance of the work of Jesus. our, Our purification is not based on the blood of bulls and lambs. It's based upon the precious blood of Christ, the eternal Lamb of God, the Divine Son. He is our offering. He has made purifications once for all by laying down His life upon the cross. And his eternal work of purification has resulted in a triumphant conclusion. The text says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand is the, the side of power. Jesus, the perfect high priest, he took a seat. He sat down. His work is complete. It's finished. The priest in the Old Testament never sat down. His job was never complete. Their administration was ongoing and continuous. It went on and on. But not for Jesus. He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10 alone really double clicks on this idea and opens up the riches of. Christ sacrifice for us but chapter 10 verse 12 he says but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God Jesus is the the finished work of God he sat down he must be trusted and as we finish up this sermon series beholding the excellencies of Christ beholding Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus we have to see Jesus we looked at him in John chapter 1 through his incarnation we looked at him in Philippians chapter 3 through his amazing humiliation he came became one of us and died upon a cross that He might be given the name of every name. We saw Him in Colossians chapter 1 through the supremacy and sufficiency of the Son. And we see Him here through this final word from the Father to us through the Son. I want to say to you today, if you don't know Jesus, God is speaking to you loudly in His Son. He's speaking to you with with words of grace. He's speaking to you with words of mercy. He's speaking to you with words of love. He's speaking to you with words of forgiveness. You are a sinner. And because of your sin, there is a, a deep chasm, a large communication gap between you, a sinner, and God, a holy and righteous God. And God has sent His Son, Jesus, to bridge that gap. He sent you His His one and only Son to live a life that you should have lived without sin. To die a death that you and I deserve upon the cross as a payment for our sin. That we might see Him, behold Him for who He is. That we might trust in Him and believe in Him. That we might give our ear to Him. That we might give our heart to Him.
0: That we might give our very
1: lives to Him. If you don't know Jesus today, if you haven't placed faith in Him today, I just want to ask you, what voices are you listening to? What are they telling you about yourself? Because the Word of God tells you that you need a Savior. And the Word of God tells you that God has sent you that Savior in Christ. The question is, do you see Him today? And by seeing Him, do you see your sin and your need for a Savior? you see that God offers you salvation in Him today? If you'll repent, if you'll turn from your sins and turn to Christ, a simple confession of your heart, which
0: brings about an everlasting,
1: eternal, beautiful reality that we got to witness today in these three individuals. You don't know Christ and you want to know more about Him. I'm here for you to talk. To understand who He is. Church, we've spent four weeks we looked at these four key passages at Christ. These really mountain peaks in the New Testament of Jesus. And they've hopefully pulled your eyes back to Jesus. To see Him. To see who He is
0: and how by beholding
1: Him in all His glory we can become more like Him. The question as we leave in this last text is, are you listening to Him? Is Jesus the authoritative voice over your life? Or is He just one voice among many that you give ear to on Sunday Maybe on Monday morning you wake up with some enthusiasm and open your Bible, but by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the voice has become so many other things. You're discipled by so many other things than the Word of God and the Son of God.
0: Church, let's see Him
1: today. Let's hear Him this evening. And let's commit again to live for Him as a church. Coming like Jesus, the man's beholding Him as the Father's full and final communication to us in the Gospel. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we, we, we finish another sermon. we close the pages of your holy scripture Lord my prayer is Holy Spirit that you would take what was said and that which aligns with the truth of your word Lord you, you would implant it into our hearts today you would cause us to reflect back over these last four weeks convict us Lord of the places where our eyes tend to run the things that we tend to behold and make big in our lives. Lord, help us to see again the glory of Your Son. But I pray that we would spend time not just looking up at Jesus, but passages like this and beautiful passages in the Bible, that we would spend time in them and we would climb the mountaintops of who You are and be able to look back over our lives and give us perspective to know who we are, what our purpose is, and what this life is about. Everything in Christ. Lord, thank You for the testimonies of a brother and two sisters today. Thank You that we get to partake in their story even today. Our Lord, might all of us lean in closer to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to behold Him so that we can become more like Him.